Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome to episode 100 of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today, and if you're new here, every Saturday we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee. Today, that is Onyx Coffee Roasters, Costa Rica, Las Lajas. That being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about the big bad crypto bear market that everyone thinks we're in some altcoin projects, our usual 404 logic not found segment and more. So make sure that you stick around for all the updates we've got in store today. As a friendly reminder as well, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments on YouTube posing as me as well as on other social media platforms trying to steal from you. I don't have a WhatsApp. I don't do outreach on Telegram, WhatsApp or social media. So if the comment on YouTube doesn't have the name highlighted like you see here or it's not at Hashoshi4 on social media, it isn't me. Please report them please be safe. In honor of today, marking the century mark for Crypto Over Coffee episodes as well, I want to give thanks to the people who make this show possible, that would be you by the way, by giving away a bunch of good stuff including crypto, hardware wallets, VPN subscriptions, merch, and a bunch more, okay? All you got to do, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment on the YouTube video to be entered for random draws. If you're on the podcast platform, you're not going to be left out, Tweet me with hashtag COC100 on Twitter at Hashoshi4, and I'll pick some winners from there as well. Actually, I do recommend watching or listening to this whole show, and I rarely ask you to do that, but there are some secret hidden prize opportunities interwoven into this episode. Remember, you do have to be following the podcast or the YouTube channel to claim the prize. But seriously, thank you so much for all your support on this show for 100 episodes. Crazy. I do wish that the 100th episode of Crypto Over Coffee landed on a better day for the crypto markets, but we will manage. We got to work with what we got. Needless to say, this week has been a brutal continuation of the volatile downtrend we've been seeing in the crypto markets over the last several months. Gone are the bullish posts on social media, the hopium, and calls for imminent pumps in price. And to the forefront, the signs of capitulation have begun to arrive with large swaths of people calling for a long-term bear market. This is what I want to analyze today. Are we entering a 2018 style bear market that will bring another 40% sell off and basically leave us in the dumpster for a year or more? Why are markets selling off like this in the first place? These are things that I want to break down here. A prerequisite to understanding these market conditions is understanding that the overall crypto market follows Bitcoin's lead and Bitcoin follows the macroeconomics and traditional markets and their lead, right? So while some might lead you to believe that crypto is uncorrelated to the traditional markets or unaffected by macroeconomics like U.S. monetary policy, that's just not true. First of all, you have complete turmoil in Kazakhstan after political upheaval, to say the least, and that's resulted in power and internet shutoffs. Kazakhstan also happened to be the second largest hub for Bitcoin mining before this unrest, which has undoubtedly caused some tumult in the already weak Bitcoin markets. By my estimation, Kazakhstan's large-scale shutoff of Bitcoin mining could be equivalent to between a 10 and 15% drop in hash rate on the network, which is not insignificant. That aside, you also have the U.S. Federal Reserve facing unprecedented levels of inflation, signaling that they will be taking action to increase interest rates and reduce their balance sheet. In other words, the Fed is looking to offload the mountain of securities that they have amassed to stabilize the economy, and the money printer is slowing down. For now. <laughs> when this happens, 
risk assets like equities and crypto become a less appealing area for investors. Why? Because risk-free investments like bank interest, money market accounts, treasury bills become less unappealing as interest rates go up. The cost of capital also goes up and risk assets start to sell off. So we're in a period, whether we agree with the economics of it or not, where the dollar is doing pretty well. And this situation in general bodes poorly for Bitcoin and other risk assets that are deemed a better play during times of lowering interest rates and Fed asset purchasing. What's worse is that altcoins are the riskiest of risk assets and they sell off even bigger as investors take shelter in less volatile assets. So you see investors moving from altcoins to Bitcoin maybe. And this is the exact market behavior one would expect in the face of these signals from the Federal Reserve, particularly now that you have savvy and somewhat predictable institutional investors in the mix here. Don't forget, the prevalence of leverage as well, where an already sizable sell-off can trigger mass liquidations that send markets tumbling further, is something you need to think about. So this is what we're up against right now. It hurts, it sucks, it's scary, especially for someone who bought Bitcoin in the 60K range or bought altcoins at the top. That being said, on paper, we are in a bear market and we have been for a while now. People hate it, they tease me for saying it, but we're 40 plus percent off of highs almost market-wide in crypto. That's a bear market, folks. I also think that this bearishness will continue for a while. We could see even steeper losses in Bitcoin leading to even steeper losses in other cryptocurrencies as well. A lot rides on the approach that the Federal Reserve takes in the next several months and how other macroeconomic conditions play out around the world. Could this whole thing last a year or longer? It could. I doubt it, but it definitely could. It's very possible. If not likely, though, that the money printers begin to whir yet again in 2022, maybe even sooner than later, which has the inverse effect of what we're seeing right now. Those risk assets like crypto start to look really nice again. The pressures from everyday citizens who are feeling the effects of rising prices on common goods and utilities have all but guaranteed the current tightening of the belt that the Federal Reserve is signaling for. But history shows us that this will not last forever, and there are many Many scenarios in which this turns back to the same money printing asset purchasing extravaganza that sent crypto and equities flying in the first place. Now what this should tell you above all else is that the YouTubers, Twitterers, Medium blog posters, CNBC TV personalities of the world have no bloody clue what the markets will do. Neither do I. No one does. All their price predictions are worth about as much of a, as a bag of trash on the New York City sidewalk. The only thing that you can do to position yourself to mitigate losses is to work on building a plan to take these sell-offs as a chance to rebalance your portfolio in only cryptocurrencies you have a long-term conviction in, reevaluate your plan, set targets for buying in or selling out. And if you want my prediction, I can only give you this. We will see a reversal in macroeconomic effects that are pushing risk assets down right now, and we will see it at the end of the second quarter in 2022. That's my prediction. I have no idea if that's true or not. Where will prices go? That's another question that I have no probabilistic confidence in giving you an estimate on, so I'm not gonna even waste your time. We are in a bear market right now, but it will not last forever. And I'm taking this as a chance to take stock and rebuild my own portfolio with an eye on the next couple years. Now, I wanna take this opportunity to share a big part of my crypto strategy, particularly during these periods of insane volatility. and. 
that is my crypto IRA at iTrust Capital, who are a sponsor of my channel, sort of in general. So just so we're being transparent here, iTrust Capital offers USA investors the ability to open a self-directed individual retirement account or IRA to invest in cryptocurrency with pre-tax or after-tax money, depending on the type of account that you open. In this retirement account, one can then trade crypto to crypto or crypto to cash and back without accruing capital gains as one trades in the context of this retirement account. This is a superpower for me. So for me, when crypto is super volatile, I'm trying to play those swings in prices in this IRA account rather than outside of it. So when Bitcoin pushed back to 47K, I started to sell to USD. And as we hit closer to 41K, I was buying back in. The same goes for other assets available on iTrust Capital, like interoperability projects like Polkadot and DeFi mainstays like Uniswap, SushiSwap, Yearn, etc. And I would never trade this aggressively outside of the IRA because the tax implications for me would be pretty heavy. These crypto to crypto or crypto to cash trades would build up taxable gains very quickly. Well, or losses. I'm not going to say I always do a great job trading, but it happens. If you're a crypto investor in the USA and you haven't tried iTrust Capital yet or haven't even looked into it yet, you should hit my link in the description below and sign up. See if it's appealing to you. See if it works for your own specific situation, because those who open an account can also earn 100 bucks in Bitcoin for a qualifying deposit to the platform. And I'd recommend getting a few minutes of a professional's time to talk through your own tax situation, see what's a good fit, and plan your IRA. Everyone's different and should know what the best strategy is for their own specific needs. Now, due to reasons that we already discussed today, Ether, the native cryptocurrency of Ethereum, has been struggling as well, needless to say, and it's sitting close to those $3,000 levels. We're well below $4,000 now. The macroeconomic conditions are likely not the only reason, though, that Ether is struggling when other altcoins are holding somewhat strong. And there is quite a bit of malaise in the Ethereum space after a flurry of activity from one of its main creators, Vitalik Buterin, which shed light on the long road ahead for the future of Ethereum. For what it's worth, I thought that Vitalik's podcast appearances and several blog and Twitter write-ups were extremely thoughtful, intellectually honest, and quite frankly, pretty inspiring for Ethereum's future. But it seems that most people don't really feel that way. They latched on to a single fact from the Bankless podcast recording that he did, and it was this. Vitalik thinks that it will take six years for Ethereum to be 100% complete. Yes, six years, over half a decade, which seems like an eternity in crypto, but in reality is not at all surprising, given the magnitude of what must be achieved in the Ethereum space. People criminally underestimate the care that must be taken and the sheer complexity involved in building decentralized protocols that move billions of dollars in value and are supposed to power the world in the not-so-distant future. Okay, this is not a small task. And this six years doesn't mean that Ethereum won't be worlds better to use in far less time than that. The merge to proof-of-stake and other intermediate scaling improvements will come long before that six years is done. So guess what? After the first few years, I bet you that things will change again and the bar is going to move further down the line because that's how building protocols like this works. It's a never ending process. You're never done. So I'm here to tell you not to read into the six year completion date as a bad thing, but as a sign that Ethereum's biggest brains know what needs to be done. They acknowledge the mistakes and the failures and what doesn't work, and they have a plan to execute and fix it. So Ethereum will see massive improvements in 2022 alone. 
I really do believe that, so don't worry. One project that actually has a good shot at duking it out with the big players like Ethereum in the decentralized application platform space is Near Protocol. And I frankly don't cover Near very much on the channel, and that is something I want to rectify. I'm a fan of their tech overall. Recently, Near Protocol introduced what was effectively a V0 or kind of alpha version of the long-awaited sharding scalability solution on the network dubbed Nightshade. This sharding solution, like others that exist in other blockchain networks, is basically designed to efficiently distribute the load of transaction execution and validation across several parallel streams that merge into one sort of root chain rather than one single stream where each node on the network agrees on the same sets of transactions for each cycle. This becomes a bottleneck. In 2022, NIR's Nightshade protocol will likely put it in direct competition with Phantom and Avalanche for DeFi in particular, as the latter phases of launch continue throughout the year for Nightshade. The fact that NIR is able to adopt these upgrades to the network, though, without any downtime or fork mechanics is a huge benefit that I don't think people think really realize is so great, but it is because it allows for a phased, careful launch. So definitely keep an eye on NIR protocol this year. And this one's gonna be quick, but still pretty notable because the South Korean tech giant Samsung has dipped quite heavily into the crypto scene recently with its metaverse storefront initiative, its phone-based wallet, and now it is tapping a Cardano-based project, Veritree, to help achieve its environmental initiative, which involves planting two million trees as a carbon offset mechanism. Love that. Veritree itself is a Cardano project that's focused on tracking local data related to environmental efforts like reforestation to provide accurate auditable readings related to the growth and health and stability of the forest regrowth. First of all, Samsung seems to be picking up steam in blockchain and crypto adoption, which I love. And second of all, the Cardano haters now have another thing built on Cardano to ignore and pretend doesn't exist. And by the way, the first person to tweet me the name of the SpongeBob episode where Patrick finds Man Ray's wallet wins. Now it is time for Rational Reactions, a new segment, well, kind of new segment on the show where I read headlines from tech and crypto related publications and give you my instant rational reaction. The first reaction that I have. So let's switch over to the computer and we'll go ahead and get started. Shanghai includes metaverse in its development plan. Shanghai's five-year plan calls for the use of metaverse and public services, businesses, entertainment, and industrial manufacturing. Uh, this is pretty darn cool. I'd be very interested to see what that actually looks like, though, because just calling something the metaverse doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. But I would assume that what is likely going to happen is they're talking about the mixture of AR and VR technologies in these experiences around public services and entertainment industrial manufacturing is a really interesting one i'd be very curious to see what that is but it's really cool to see governments now and municipalities thinking about how to take this new technology and apply it because a lot of these organizations are really really behind and actually i think this next story we actually just talked about uh, also from cointelegraph and this is about samsung launching a metaverse store in decentraland the samsung metaverse store is a replica of a real world shop situated at 837 washington street in New York City's meatpacking district. This is a really cool idea, and I really do believe that in the future, we are going to see the actual final destruction of shopping malls. And I don't say that happily because I actually do have fond memories of shopping malls, but I actually do think that people are going to start shopping in an online fashion 
but in virtual reality within storefronts that let you see the merchandise and see the products in virtual or augmented reality and make your purchases there. I think that that's the future. Samsung is experimenting with it, it would seem, and really cool. I think this is a fantastic idea. The next story, Solana network faces degraded performance for the second time this week. Solana suffered a fourth network incident in the span of a few months. Two out of the four issues happened this week. And this was, I think, yesterday or on the 6th of January. I can't remember exactly what day it was. Here's the deal. Solana has some issues. We all acknowledge that. Solana is growing extremely fast. And I think the growth has finally outstripped the capability of the network in terms of stability. It is a very interesting piece of technology. A lot of brilliant things were done in the development of Solana. It is very unique, but there are growing pains that need to be ironed out. That much is obvious. People who defend Solana and say this isn't a problem are not being intellectually honest because quite quite frankly, it's very clear that a decentralized network that can be basically taken down, just rebooted, and I'm, I'm simplifying here, I'm, I'm exaggerating, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it really doesn't make sense Clearly, there needs to be some wholesale change made to this this network so that ultimately it can be more stable because stability is critical. Scalability cannot be at this the expense of stability because it needs to be available for people when they need it. You can't just be like, oh, sorry, you can't do your transaction right now. Uh, we got to restart. It doesn't really work that way. All right. Next one is from Coindesk. What crypto can learn from Elizabeth Holmes fraud conviction. There is a surprisingly clear line between fake it till you make it and just plain faking it. I cannot agree more to this statement. There are so many companies in crypto who, and we've done that, we've talked about this before, who say, we're the first to do this, when they're clearly not the first to do it. Like, that's just completely fraudulent, quite frankly. It's just not true. But beyond that, you have a lot of projects that come up with an idea and they have no plan for execution and they sort of pretend like they're executing on the plan or they're executing in a way that actually is not what they envisioned or what they laid out. So they're building in a different direction than their white paper or in their than their marketing says. This is something that's going to have to change over time. And this is where the regulatory reckoning is going to start happening in crypto, is people that are quite literally saying one thing and doing another and not delivering that's what's going to happen. So I actually agree with this. A lot of people are going to be like, oh, it doesn't make sense. You know, centralized versus decentralized. Great, but being fraudulent is still being fraudulent, regardless of how decentralized you are. Last story of the day is from Coindesk as well. Wisdom Tree adds Bitcoin futures exposure to fund refiles for a spot ETF. The Bitcoin futures edition was made to Wisdom Tree's commodities-focused managed futures strategy ETF. So great, they added the Bitcoin futures exposure to their fund. That's cool, but as we know, the futures ETF has been a huge dud. The spot ETF is really what the market needs, I think, to get that injection of optimism and start to pick up the pace a little bit. But the reality is, is my gut reaction is that we're not going to get a spot ETF, at least not anytime soon. So I'm not entirely sure whether Wisdom Tree refiling this or, or I guess pushing for this again is going to make much a difference, but maybe just like the futures ETF, if we just keep trying and keep trying and keep trying, eventually it will happen. Fingers crossed, 
but I'm not so optimistic. I don't know. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below. That being said, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. Speaking of attention, if you want to help this episode of Crypto Over Coffee get some attention from the algorithm robots, please do hit that like button, get subscribed, follow the podcast, whatever you can do to tell those robots that you are enjoying the content that you're watching or listening to, and that others might enjoy it as well. Now, the first person who tweets me the name of the coffee that I am drinking in today's episode on Twitter at Hishoshi4 wins. The thing about today's Logic Not Found, though, is that I'm actually really sad about having to make it, but I do. The topic is OpenSea. Yes, the juggernaut NFT marketplace, the bringer of billions to the NFT space, that OpenSea. What started as a product that could not lose, a product that pretty much always had an answer when the NFT space needed one, is now faltering in a big way, and it is very sad. As OpenSea grew, it grew very fast, painfully fast, and that's tough on a small team. I'll give them that. However, it's that team's responsibility then to scale as needed to make sure the growth doesn't crush the product. And that really didn't happen the way it should have, in my opinion. And this has ended up resulting in a very slow, frankly at times inoperative product during times of high load, which is pretty much all the time at this point. It's very slow, it's painful to use, and that's just not great. But to make matters worse, you have policy and ethics related issues abound as well, which I get are subjective, but still. First, you had what was the NFT equivalent of insider trading going on behind the scenes, which was rectified after it was called out publicly, but it's still bad that, that it even happened. And now you have reports of angry artists who feel that OpenSea is not doing enough to protect from fake listings or blatant theft of one's art. And on the flip side, you have people feeling like they've been censored when OpenSea yanks their listing at an inopportune time without really much explanation, reportedly. To add to this, there are countless reports of poor customer service or complete lack of customer service in general to help these artists and these users that are facing issues. For a company valued at a multi-billion dollar ticket, it's simply unconscionable for there to be these types of problems going unresolved for so long. The problems existing are fine, but they need to be fixed. Hire a competent customer service department. Make your rules more clear to artists. Enforce those rules consistently. Fix the absolutely insane performance issues that cause so much frustration for your users. This should be clear as day in terms of product strategy. And I know that this probably sounds harsh, but I've been a huge advocate of OpenSea, a big customer of OpenSea, and it's finally crossed into this area where I can't defend some of this stuff anymore. The biggest 404 logic not found here is that OpenSea is just opening the door to competitors like Shoyu, which is on the way in the sushi world, Treasure Marketplace, which is already crushing it and fantastic, NF Trade or NFT Trade is great, which I invested in early myself, by the way, because of these OpenSea issues I was experiencing. Oh, and don't forget about Stash, which is the secret network marketplace that's up and coming. I mean, there is so much competition brewing, and OpenSea, of course, has a chance to rectify their issues, re-cement their lead, take control again, but it will take action and swift action at that to defend their dominance here. The bottom line is this, OpenSea has done a lot for their community, but they have to take responsibility and fix the myriad of issues that their platform faces right now, 
or it does not bode well. Now, I do also wanna shout out the sponsor of today's show, Hypersign, whom I've actually spoken about on the show before a while back and done some Twitter stuff for them as well. Hypersign is building an omni-chain digital identity solution, which if you've watched the show before, you'll know is a very big area of interest for me, decentralized digital identity that is. And omni-chain refers to a protocol that works on basically all chains, which is another thing I can get behind interoperability wins. In essence, the root of digital identity builds upon the cryptographic primitives that are native to a blockchain. One's public and private key, for example, that composes their wallet. Now with this wallet, one can both store attestations of identity attributes that are assigned to their public identifier, your public key or address, and you can sign attestations of those attributes to selectively share data in a privacy-preserving manner. Data pertaining to the user is only accessible in this paradigm by the user themselves unless they choose to share it. And so HyperSign itself is squarely focused on that mission of enabling people to take back control of their data, flipping the model for online login and interaction with applications and systems. So with HyperSign and other digital identity solutions, a signature from one's wallet is used in place of a username and password when logging into an application that integrates HyperSign's tooling. And in the future, operations like KYC, access management, and more could be replaced with privacy-preserving systems like this. And so one example of HyperSign's digital identity solution in action is HyperSign's own HyperFire product, which is a community engagement platform that uses HyperSign's wallet-based authentication. On HyperFire, one can facilitate sweepstakes, contests, social engagement drives, and more, just community engagement with HyperSign login at the core of the product to preserve privacy along the way. So your users use HyperSign identities. Those interacting with the campaign don't have to furnish personal information to be entered and to participate, which makes it much more accessible for people and the many people now that are unwilling to share personal info. Hence projects like one of my favorites, EPNS, running campaigns for their community atop this platform. So if you wanna learn more about HyperSign and HyperFire and see a live demo of HyperFire, I will leave links in the description and the pinned comment for you to check out. Now, let's do some community Q&A. And I always answer questions from folks who watch the show, and I've got some questions from last week's episode that I'm gonna answer, and I wanna remind you that if you have a question that you want answered, any question goes, leave them in the comments on YouTube or tweet me at Hishoshi4 as well, okay? So let's dive into these questions right now. And we got the first question here from Matt Goodwin. Hey Hishoshi, I understand that hot wallets like MetaMask are risky, but what do you suggest for NFT gaming platforms where the ledger hardware MetaMask functionality is intermittent at best? I know you plug unstoppable domains and they also recommend MetaMask over ledgers. Thanks. <clears throat> so this is a good question, but here's, here's the deal. If you're struggling with the MetaMask integrations with hardware, which I totally acknowledge can be quite a pain in the butt, and this is an issue not unique to MetaMask, for gaming, you need sort of ongoing ability to sign and it's a pain to have to pick up your hardware and click and go through the whole thing, click through the buttons and sign your transaction. Totally understand. So the way that I do this is I have a hot wallet where I do most of my gaming stuff. And this is easier on other chains like Solana or BSC if you're into that, or sometimes Polygon where gas fees are not crazy or fees are not crazy to move between your hardware and your hot wallet sort of every day or every other day but I basically move funds and assets to a hot wallet in order to play the game or do whatever it is I'm doing so that I don't have to deal with the hardware. 
and then I can send it back to my hardware wallet at the close of the week or whatever. So I'm limiting my exposure to that hot wallet to the best of my abilities and I'm not dumping all my assets on a hot wallet. So what I would recommend is if you don't wanna use hardware for gaming, move a, a small amount of assets that you need, the basic amount of assets that you need to work with to a hot wallet, what you're comfortable with risk-wise is up to you. And then from there, you can move it back. The problem is on Ethereum, if that's where you are, this is cost prohibitive. And I don't do this on Ethereum, right? I, I will not do this because it costs way too much money. Again, this is a maturity thing. The market's gonna have to catch up because there is not a great solution for this yet. Hardware wallets are the best practice. You should be using them all the time, but I get it's hard to do for gaming. So it's really up to you, but you can do sort of a hybrid hot and cold wallet setup. Thank you for your question. I've got another question from Dante Hernandez from Ent. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. My curiosity on crypto interest accounts is growing, and I'm wondering how safe they are, whether it's BTC or other coins. Are they in a gray area? Are they safe? Is it better than short-term trades and buying dips to advance a portfolio? So this really depends whether it's better for you. I think it's a hybrid. You should probably be doing some trading and some investing, but for long-term, if you're like long on Bitcoin and you're not actively trading, you can use an interest-bearing account to sort of build your portfolio up over time if you just set it and forget it. So I really like that strategy. But in terms of how safe they are, yes, they're safe. You've got a couple big risks. You've got custodial risk because you're giving up access, not access, but you're giving up the control of the keys to your Bitcoin. And I resonate with the idea that not your keys, not your crypto. In some cases, it's risk versus reward. How much does it take for someone to give you yield? Is it 6% interest worth the risk of custodial service losing the keys, losing your Bitcoin? That's a question you have to answer for yourself. The second thing, is you have the sort of the institutional risk, like the actual market risk, which is um, when these companies are lending out the assets to generate yield, which they're then passing to you, there is always a risk of default or a risk of loss in that process, right? So you're trusting them to facilitate in the market in good faith and to do a good job and to not lose money that ultimately loses you your assets. So there are risks, but these risks are not completely unique to this area right there these this is very similar even to how banks generate yield by lending out currency so the reality is is that this is a fairly tried and true method in this case you're just getting more in return for your assets there are different risk profiles out there in the markets because crypto is a lot more volatile so i'm not equating you know fiat lending and crypto lending but you get the idea okay so there are risks but it's, it's a risk balance that you need to decide uh, whether it's worth it for you or not for that yield. Thanks for your question. Next one is from Joseph Trainer. Starting the year with great content. Thank you for that. I'm looking to stake my ADA. Can you explain the dangers or disadvantages of staking to an oversaturated stake pool? I've heard that you get less rewards for doing so. Yes, this is the way that the Cardano protocol disincentivizes this large sort of cartelization or I don't even know if that's a word. I think it's a word. But anyway, the, the concentration of power into a few big, very wealthy stake pools. Basically, when a pool becomes oversaturated, the rewards that get paid out are less. The more saturated a stake pool is, the more the rewards are distributed and sort of split amongst more people. But the oversaturation thing is what you really need to be looking at because you're gonna get those diminishing returns. The other thing is when a pool is retired, people often don't move their stake out or move their delegation out that's an issue as well. So you should be looking to stake in smaller pools or delegate to smaller pools. I have a pretty small pool. 
just just saying <laughs> it's h4sh but there are tons of other great small pools out there that will earn you plenty of rewards so what you really need to be doing is looking to get out of oversaturated pools and into smaller pools that have some room to run and don't be afraid to move if the pool that you're in right now is approaching saturation because if it's saturated and then you move you're going to lose out on basically an epoch of rewards so that's my thought thanks for your question and then ben this question is how do you check before signing a transaction? And this is gonna be covered in a much longer video that's coming up very soon on the channel about a very specific type of transaction that everyone should be checking if they use Ethereum or EVM compatible chains. But that being said, you should be going onto your, uh, if you're on MetaMask, you'll see the ability to check if you're approving you know, a, a token to be spent, how much you're approving and what you're approving contract wise. You can drop down the full transaction details in MetaMask and see the actual contract address and the data that you're sending to that contract. You should be checking that the first time you interact with the contract and you should be trying to check it every single time. Even when you're just sending crypto, double check the address that you're sending to, double check the amount that you're sending. Anytime you interact with a contract, check the contract address. Just do a quick sanity check, make sure it's correct, make sure it's legit because oftentimes people get caught in a phishing site, they're doing a Uniswap trade, and then they realize, I just interacted with a fake Uniswap, and now your tokens are gone. So you should just be clicking through an introspection on that transaction that might show up on your hardware wallet screen, it might be up on your browser wallet screen, there should always be a drop down to see more transaction details, and you should be doing that due diligence, okay? So I wanna thank you guys so much for watching this and every other episode of Crypto Over Coffee. Uh, here's to another 100 episodes. We are definitely going to get there. Got 52 weeks in 2022. We're not going to miss an episode. So by 2023, we're going to have 200 episodes of Crypto Over Coffee in the books. Thank you guys very much. If you have some time to stick around, I've got a couple other crypto videos here for you to watch, here for you to click. But until next time, thank you very much. Have a great one. Cheers.